You're listening to Regen, formerly known as the Regenerate Podcast, a ministry of River City Church in Lewiston, Idaho. For more information about Regen, visit rivercitychurch.us. The following sermon was originally preached during the fall of 2018. We hope you enjoy the special archival content from Regen. Welcome to Regenerate. This is a ministry of River City Church uh, right here in the Lewis Clark Valley, changing the world for Jesus one person at a time. That's our, that's our mission. That's, kind of, that's, our, that's our vision, uh, I, I should say. That's our vision. And it, here's how we want to accomplish that mission is, uh, is to create disciples who create disciples. And not just disciples of a particular philosophy or a particular type of theology or a particular political stance or a political or, or a whatever. We're, we're not a, just a social club, but we want to create disciples of Jesus Christ. We want people who know and love and serve God and want to turn the world upside down for him because God turned them upside down. Amen. If anybody, if anybody here has like had their life impacted by God in some way, give him a praise for a second. Say yes. Amen. The only reason that we're here is because God has done something in our lives. Now, or it's because you got dragged here by a friend. You're like, oh, what's going on? What even is this? So, oh, welcome to the club. Because I don't know what's going on either. No, I'm just kidding. Um, my name's Sam. Uh, I'm, the, I'm the college ministry director at River City Church. I have the privilege of preaching to you guys tonight. And so we, we are going to, uh, we love doing kind of these games and things to get people to know each other because we really consider this to be part of the family of God. Like being, being a Christian, uh, being a follower of God is not just like you and Jesus and just like doing your own thing. And, you know, me and God were cool. So uh, my life is just, I'm going to live my life however I want. And then God's kind of on the side. Um, sorry, I'm already preaching already. Um, I need to stop. But the, the, the point of it is that we together as the family of God can have an impact in the world because God has impacted us. So even as we draw near to God, and, and the Bible says that he draws near to those who are brokenhearted and contrite in spirit. So it doesn't matter where you're coming from, how hurt you are, how you sin, who sinned against you. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. It doesn't matter what your educational level is. It doesn't matter where you come from. You can still come to Jesus. And whoever you are. And so what I'm going to teach tonight is from the book of Ecclesiastes. Turn to Ecclesiastes if you're there. Or if you've got your Bible, if you've got the app, the one, one of like 50 apps, however many apps there are for the Bible nowadays, whatever. Um, if Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And what we're going to do tonight is we're going to, we're going to recognize some things. We're going to recognize some things. Turn to your neighbor and say, you better recognize. You better recognize. So here's what we're going to do. I'm, I'm going to do something tonight. What we, what we do at Regenerate is we, we, like to, uh, we like to preach. But before we get into that, I do have to mention a couple of things while you're turning there. Um, the biggest thing is this. I have an announcement, and that is that Reconnect is coming up. Reconnect is a, is a retreat that we do every year at the Refuge Church in Walla Walla. And uh, it's where my brother Jed is. It's where our friends uh, Nathan and Michelle are pastoring over there. What we do every year is we go over there and we get to actually experience the presence of God. How many of you guys actually want to experience God, right? How many of you believe that you have spiritual gifts? How many of you believe that you have spiritual gifts that are for today and they're not meant to just sit there in your holster? You know what I'm saying? Yes. God wants to use you in very specific and powerful ways and supernatural ways that you cannot do apart from him. 
And so we explore those things that reconnect. We get it, and some of you guys are like, oh, that's a little weird. Yeah, we get a little weird. It's okay, though. We, because what we're, trying, what we're trying to do is to explore the spiritual side of who God is, and not just the mental, but the experiential. And so that's what we do uh, at Reconnect. I'd highly encourage you to come. And I also wanted to announce our guest speaker. His name is Jake Lester. Um, so we have a guest speaker who's going to be coming to us all the way from Sandpoint, Idaho. Anybody, like, from North Idaho in, in the house? Okay, like... A couple of people who are like too ashamed to admit that they're from North Idaho. Um, well, I grew up in North Idaho, and, and so that's where Jake's from. And and uh, he also he he and his wife also helped to pioneer church out in uh, Kansas before moving to the Northwest. He's an awesome man of God, and he's going to talk to us about um, some incredible things and being filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's going to be awesome. We're going to worship. We're going to pray. We're going to play ultimate frisbee. We're going to play games. We're going to hang out. We're going to have good food. And most of all, you get to be away from it all for just a couple of days and a nice in the nice countryside of eastern Washington. Somebody say amen. Love getting away, right? So here's the deal. If you want to sign up for it, October 18th is our deadline to sign up. We will have a sign-up sheet going around before then. Um, but so like next week and the week after that. So for the next couple of weeks, we'll have a sign-up sheet going around. You need to sign up by October 18th. The cost is $20. If you have a problem with $20, talk to us. We'll see what we can do for you. If that's like, I know, how many of you guys are like, hey, I'm broke. So, all right. <laughs> it's okay. Admit it. We're in college. You're broke. Okay. Um, I remember feeling that, especially after my first semester, I was like, I need a job. So, don't feel bad about it. But come to Reconnect. We would love for you guys to connect with God. And uh, we would love for you guys to connect with each other at a deeper level. Last year, we also had the opportunity to do some really cool service projects. We pressed a bunch of apples. Was anybody there for that? We, we pressed a bunch of apple cider, and uh, we sold all the bottles of cider, and we donated all the money uh, to help dig a well in Africa. That's the kingdom of God right there, is just, just doing stuff um, that's going to make a difference and make an impact in the world. That's... So I'd encourage you guys to come. We're going to do some more service projects like that. It's going to be great. On November 2nd through 4th is the dates. I guess I didn't say that. I should probably say that. November 2nd, that's a Friday through the 4th. It's a Sunday. We'll go to church there that morning, and then we'll come back. Ball Wall is only a couple of hours away, max. So we'll be, you'll be back in time to get your homework done on Sunday. Hallelujah. Um, yeah, you're a glory to God. Yay. Okay, so uh, anyway, how are you guys doing this tonight? How are you, anybody feeling stretched by this semester yet? Yes? Anybody feeling a bit socially stressed? A little bit emotionally stretched? Anybody feeling a little bit, uh, anybody feeling a little bit homesick? It's all right. We're getting to that, getting to that stretch right before, you know, Thanksgiving's coming up, but it's still a long ways away. And then, uh, yeah, I, I, I get it. So um, this is a, but this is a great time. I want to suggest to you guys something that it's a great time to be here. It's a great time to be going to school. It's a great time to be at Regenerate because I believe that God wants to do something with you when you're in an exposed state, when you're at the place where you are far away from home, when you are away from your, from your family and friends and you're, you're making new connections and you're kind of in this raw position, right? You're, you're away from it all. You're, you're feeling kind of raw at certain points in your college semester and that's okay. I believe that God wants to do something with you in your raw state that he might not have been able to do beforehand, but that's just me. So, by the way, if anybody preaches anything or something just prophetically punches you in the face, then you've got to say something. Say what? Let it out. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> let it. Patrick's going to see how to popularize. Let it out. That's going to be our, that's going to be our thing from now on. This book was written. <laughs> the book of Ecclesiastes was written about 1000 B.C., 
Hebrew uh, tradition attributes it to Solomon, the greatest and wisest king in all of Israel's history. He had more wealth and more wisdom, um, and and also he had some. Um, uh, he he also had a number, of, probably more wives than any other um, king in Israel's history. Fun fact. But he had probably had a lot of problems as well. So um, the guy, but the guy had been was one of those dudes who lived at the top of society in ancient the, the ancient Near East. Okay, he lived at the very top of everything. He he had seen it all. He had experienced it all. And so by this time in his life, about 1000 BC, his reign is drawing to an end. And Solomon begins to look back on his life. He looks back at um, his at all the wisdom he's acquired, all the wealth he's acquired. He looks back at the position he's acquired. He looks back at his name and his legacy. And he's looking at all of it and he says, it's all heaven. That's the Hebrew word. It means a vapor or vanity or emptiness or meaninglessness. And you're like, wow, I didn't know that the Bible is so nihilistic. Yeah, the Bible gets super like, like this is this is like one of those ones. Did anybody remember emo? Like that was a thing in like 2003, like when I was in high school. There was like Dashboard Confessional was on the top of the airwaves, right? <laughs> Screaming infidelities, taking it where? You know, like. It was like a sad guy with a guitar, right? That was really cool back then. This book's a little bit like that. Like he's really getting, he's really getting introspective. He's really looking at his life. And as he does that, he begins to see some kind of dark things. But he's starting to recognize something. Somebody, somebody say recognize. All right. So right before this, he's t- he tells a story about a poor and wise youth and an old and foolish king. And he talks about how this youth rose to power. And then he says this, he becomes king over this great land. He may even have been thinking about his own father, David, and how he started off as a shepherd boy and eventually became king of Israel. And he's saying, yet even he, even his great legacy is not going to last. It's all Hevel. Surely also this is Hevel and a striving after wind. Hence the name of our series, Striving After Wind. So I'm going to read chapter 5 now. And we're going to pray. We're going to unpack this. So you guys ready to hear from the word of God tonight? Anybody just need a little bit of encouragement tonight? Yeah. Too bad. We're learning from Ecclesiastes. All right. <laughs> chapter 5. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just wait for it, you guys. Wait for it. God forgive me. Please come back, Holy Spirit. All right. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 says this. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. Verse 8. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. Verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. 
Verse 13. There is a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and, he sh- and shall take nothing with him for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and in much vexation and sickness and anger. Verse 18. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would come and fill this room right now. We invite you into this place, God. We invite you into this moment. We we recognize, God, that you are omnipresent. You are everywhere. But we ask you to be here right now in a special way. Holy Spirit, open up our hearts so that we can receive you. Help us to see Jesus in this, God. Help us to see what it is that you want us to recognize in this chapter of Scripture, God. Unpack things for us, God. Break, And I pray right now that you would break discouragement and that you would break strongholds that are keeping us from recognizing your work in our lives, God. Shatter those things, God, and help us to see the light tonight. God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Let my words be your words, O God, our rock and our redeemer. And everybody who trusts in God tonight, say, Amen. 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 You better recognize. What's interesting about this passage is right before this, the the writer of Ecclesiastes, the preacher he calls himself, has been speaking a lot of uh, uh, about life. He's been talking a lot about the things in life that don't make sense, things that don't add up, and things that are not worth very much. Even the things that we put a lot of value in, he says, in the end, they're not worth a whole lot. Some of it. Like we, we, we put so much value in our wealth. We put so much value in our position. We put so much value even in our legacy. We put so much value into our hair and makeup. We put so much value into the way that we appear. We put so much value into our Netflix account. You know, I don't know, I don't know what it is that you put value into, but ultimately there is more value to be found outside of what we typically put value in. Amen? So he says this. And suddenly what's interesting is he's talking about life and he's kind of going on and on. And he's, kind of, he's kind of going, oh, life is terrible and, and this doesn't have any meaning and this doesn't have any meaning and, and there's no, everything's a vapor, everything's short-lived. What a, what a value is there in this life? And then suddenly he just goes, and he puts the brakes on and then he just switches gears all of a sudden. And he starts talking about approaching God. And he, sa- and he says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Wait, time out. Why, what, Why? Like, what does this have to do with literally anything? And I think that the poet, who, the preacher who wrote Ecclesiastes, it's almost like he's coming up for air a little bit, right? He's kind of, it's like he's stopping dwelling on, he's been dwelling on the darkness. He's been dwelling on depravity. He's been dwelling on all the things that bring us pain. And then all of a sudden he goes, you know, where's God in all this? You know, where's God in all this? Does anybody ever ask that question? In your life, you might be walking through difficulty and then you just go, where's God in all this anyway? What's interesting is he taught, is he, this is, this is the, I've just got a few, few points here. They all start with the word recognize here. And, and you can see this in the text. First of all, he talks about this. 
If we, if we want to make sense of life, number one, you've got to recognize the greatness and divinity of God. That's number one. You've got to recognize the greatness and divinity of God. I think in our culture today, we have suffered a lot because we have made God into nothing more than our homie, right? Where we, we treat God as though he's our buddy, like we're the ones who are in the driver's seat of our life. We are the ones who, who are directing our courses of action, and God just happens to be along for the ride because, yeah, I, oh, yeah, God's my ticket. I needed him so I could get into heaven when I die, but I can just do whatever I want right now, which is great. So, you know, grace. You know, um, and people will just say things like that. <laughs> hashtag grace, hashtag blats. Oh, my gosh, quiet time, you know. Um, so... But like people are so weird about this. We talk about God like he's our best friend, and which is true. Jesus is known in scripture as the friend of sinners, yet at the same time, we serve a God who is transcendent. Did you know that God is just a little bit bigger than you? Did you know? Anybody in the house tonight know that God's just a little bit bigger than you, a little bit bigger than your ideas, a little bit bigger than your aspirations, a little bit bigger than your dreams, and a little bit bigger than your confusion, and a little bit bigger than your problems? How about a lot bigger? How about a lot bigger? Amen. Somebody amen clear up there. He says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. See, in verse 1, he says you ought to examine yourself before you come to God. Sometimes we come before God, whether it's in prayer on our own, or it's when we roll up to church on Sunday morning, or it's when we come to regenerate, or we, we come to a Bible study, or we, we do something that we deem religious, and so that's coming before God, right? And so then we say, like in those moments though, we don't ever examine ourselves. Do you ever examine yourself before you come into God, into God's presence? See, in the, in the, in the Old Testament, the writer of, Ecclesi- of Ecclesiastes, he would have known this. Because back then, excuse me, had like one of those weird little birds that kind of comes up and then it goes away and then it comes back. Where was that? Oh, yeah, so it, presence of God, right? So in those days, the, the temple was the place, uh, Solomon was known as the king who constructed the temple. And it was this glorious structure. There was no way, when you read about the temple being built in the book of Kings, you can't read that and come away going, wow, that must have been kind of uh, like, I wouldn't have been very impressed by that. The, like every square inch of the building was covered in gold and there were specific decorations and there was like angels being carved in different places and pomegranates and there was this beautiful bowl of incense that was like constantly burning 24-7. There was a, but before you could even enter into that place where you could worship God, it wasn't about the building. The building was designed to reflect who was in the building. But... Before you could even come in there, you had to clean yourself. If you were a priest and you were serving before God, you would not just like show up late, like to the day that you were supposed to serve God. Oh, oh, hey, Aaron, what's up, dude? Yeah, hey, I forgot my turban at home. Can I, I'm just gonna, you know, hold on. I didn't. I know I didn't do my hair. How's my breath? Okay, I'm gonna go into worship now. Like you would not do that. You just, you just wouldn't. And, and the people of Israel were aware of this because in the time of Moses, when, when God first gave the Israelites instructions on how to build a tent where he could live, a couple of guys tried to walk into his presence willy-nilly. They're like, "Woohoo! look at this little fire thingy. I'm going to like wave this around. Because, and Moses is like, did God tell you to do that? And they're like, no, why? And then they died. So there was, <laughs> you go, God was really scary in the Old Testament. But I can give you examples from the New Testament of people who was disrespecting God and then also paid for it. But the point is not... That is not that we're supposed to fear God in that sense. I'll get to that in a second. The point is this. 
We ought to examine ourselves before we come before before we come to God. We ought to examine ourselves first, and then also we ought to examine the position of God. Examine your position in life first. Recognize that you are small. Recognize that you are one of seven billion beings that lives on a small blue marble that's flat, hurtling around a, a large ball of gas that's burning somewhere in the universe. And you are not, it's 93 million miles away. And that if we were only like a few miles closer, we'd all burn alive. And if we were a few miles farther away, then we'd all freeze to death. Think about the fragility of your life and how small it is before you walk into God's presence assuming that life is about you. Just a thought. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. See, God's in heaven. Examine the position of God before you walk in there. But he says, therefore, let your words be few. (laughs) I love this. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. There's actually an old song. I don't know. If I, I might, Patrick, can I use your guitar real quick? There's actually, there's actually an old song that went something like this. Maybe you guys, maybe you guys have heard it. I don't know. But it's like, uh, I, didn't, I didn't come prepared or anything, you know. But it was like in an old Matt Redmond song where it's like, You are God in heaven and here in my own Let my words be few. Jesus, I am so in love with you. And that turns into a waltz with Jesus kind of song, you know? You remember that one? Anybody? That's like super old school. But that was that was straight out of Ecclesiastes 5. He pulled this like beautiful ballad out of like a super depressing chapter, which is cool. Um <laughs> But examine the position of God before speaking. This is something that I have a hard time doing. I don't know about you guys, but okay, I'm talkative and you probably have gathered that. But when you're a talkative person or when you have an opinion, how many of you are opinionated? You're opinionated. You have, you have your own thoughts about the world and you're like, yep, it's going to take somebody a while to change my mind because I know me. That's how I feel. That's, and who I feel is who I am. And so therefore, you know, um, you draw all kinds of irrational conclusions about the world because of the way you feel. And um, that's another sermon for another time. You, but do you ever examine your position? Then do you examine the position of God? And then do you ever come into God's presence and just be silent? Do you, so many times we come before God, and I think we need to shed this mentality. Because in Western culture, a lot of times we feel like God is just something that I have as a side dish in my life. And so I bring him on board whenever I feel like it, whenever I'm in a, t- a time of crisis or in a time of need. That's when I'll cry out to God and I'll just tell him what I want done. God, I, God, I just really want this relationship to work out. Just make it work for me. God, I need this money. I need it so bad. And God, I, I, I need this. I want this to happen. And you just express what you want to God. And a lot of times we say, we say what, we're just telling God what we think he should do. And then we mask it as a prayer request. So you come before God and you're like, this is what I want, God. And God's like, mm, that's not what you need. God, I want a girlfriend so bad. That's not what you need right now. You and I need to camp out a little bit and hang out. God, I need him to just understand the way that I feel. Well, maybe, you know, you should be kind to him. But let's, let's think about that first. I mean, God, I just need this money. No, actually, you need to stop loving money so much. 
God, I just need, I need, I need. And so what you're doing is you're trying to project your ideas onto God and trying to get his approval for your plan so that you can do what you want to do. You're not actually interested in what the, the divine wants. You're, you're interested in what you want in the natural in your flesh. And then we bring it to God and say, God, can you make this happen? And then we get disappointed when God's like, mm, either he says, nope, or not right now. And then we're like, God's not real. You know, and then, and then, you, then you like walk away. Not necessarily, but for a lot of us, we, get to, we, we begin to dwell in disappointment when we project expectations onto God that were never biblical expectations to begin with. They were actually personal expectations based out of our own experience and not on scripture. So examine the posi- your position before God. Examine yourself and then examine God's position. Let me tell you a little something about God. Before you walk into his presence, but the next time, before, even tonight before we worship, I want you to think about this. When you come before God, you are coming before the one that, it says in the prophet Isaiah that he breathed the stars. Day one of creation says that God spoke, let there be light, and it was. He is so powerful that all he had to do was say it, and it was. He has no beginning and no end. The book of Revelation says his name is Alpha and Omega, A to Z. He has no, there is is no end to God. He is infinite. It says that God knows everything about you. In in scripture, it says that, that he is, he is, he does everything according, in Ephesians, it says he does everything according to the counsel of his own will because he is perfectly good in every single decision that he makes. You only have like a bazillion decisions you have to make in your life. God has every bazillion, every bazillion decisions that every single person has to make, and he knows every, he knows every infinitesimal mistake, and he knows every infinitesimal consequence of every single decision you could ever possibly make. There's no way you could ever calculate that. They will never build a computer big enough to understand the consequence of every single decision that you could make in every single day, but God knows. God knows you intimately. And in Psalm 139, it says that before you were even knit together in your mother's womb, God knew you. God knew the precise DNA code he was going to put together to make you into something that he desired to be a part of his creation. God knows you intimately more than you could ever know yourself. God is holy as well. It says in, uh, in one of Paul's letters to Timothy that he dwells in inapproachable light. We can't even, we can't even fathom who God is because we can't even look at him. Moses, one of the greatest men of God and written about in scripture, he said, God, I want to see you. And God said, I can't show you that because it would destroy you. But what I can do is I can put you in this rock and then I'm going to pass by and you can look at me after I've walked away, but you can't look on my face. Your human form cannot, cannot handle it. And so he said, okay, and then he walks by. And it says that after Moses had this encounter with God, his face was literally glowing with the glory of God when he came back down the mountain. God is glorious and God is holy and God is completely other than you or me. God is not just is not a man. He is not beholden to you. He is not accountable to you. He's not accountable to me for the decisions that he makes. I don't get to decide whether God is righteous or not. He gets to decide that. He is in heaven. You are on earth. He sees the eternal, you only see the temporal. He sees the infinite, you only see the finite. You might know what's going to happen tomorrow. Actually, you don't even know that. In fact, in the book of James, it says, don't even think that you know what's going to happen tomorrow because you, don't, you can say, make all these plans, but God can thwart those plans in an instant. God knows what's going to happen tomorrow and the day after that 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 and the day after that. 
God knows everything. God knew the day that Abraham Lincoln was going to get shot before it happened. God knew when Watergate was going to happen. God knew when the Second World War was going to end. God knew every single thing that has ever happened in history. Not only that, but God is intimately involved with all of that. And this God, this mighty, powerful, all-consuming God, Deuteronomy says that he is a consuming fire. This amazing, unfathomable, like beyond understanding God came to earth in the form of Jesus Christ as a man. And he shed, I, can, I, I don't even know how many of his rights in, 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 uh, that he had to shed in order to become a man. Like how, like how he had to squeeze into a human body, like he's like, all right, I'm going to have to shed my, some of my omniscience here because I can't actually know everything inside of a human brain. We all know it's only capable of 5,564,343,000, you know, that, that many decisions in a lifetime. So I can, I'm going to have to shed some of that. And, I'm gonna to have to shed some of my some. Of, I, I'm gonna to have to shed my my omnipresence. I can't be everywhere at once because this body only allows me to be in one place at one time. So I'm gonna to have to do that. Oh, and I'm gonna to have to feel pain too. I'm gonna to have to do that. And I'm gonna to have to undergo suffering. I'm gonna to have to do that. I'm gonna to have to feel loneliness. I'm gonna to have to do that. I'm gonna to have to do all these things. That God squeezed Himself into a human body so that He could be with you and so that He could restore relationship with you so that you could have access to the Holy God. Why did I go on that whole long rant? Because I want you to understand something. God is in heaven. You are on earth. So before you project your desires onto God, how about he let him project some of his desires onto you? We want results out of our prayer life. God wants love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. We want results. God wants character. We want, we, we want, we want provision. God wants you to look at the provider. There is so much more that God understands about you than you will ever understand about yourself even. So I got, I got more room to move because now I'm in like verse 3 out of 25 or whatever. So I got to move. Like this is never going to end. Don't worry. The rest of it's going to go quick. But I needed to set that up. I felt like it was very important to set that up. Because in verse 5, he, taught, he says, when you vow, or verses 4 through 7, he says, when, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay let not your mouth lead you into sin. Do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one that you must fear. I love this. I love this because he says, I want you to fulfill what you vow. When you, when you vow a vow to God, I want you to fulfill it. And, and I've, had, I've known enough, enough people. And we've been, Jamie and I have been running Regenerate for like three years now. We've seen a lot of young people uh, who have come to Christ here. We've seen a lot of young people who have become disciples here, who have gotten plugged into the local church. And we say, praise God for all that. It's awesome. It's rad. But also, we've seen people who have been fl those flash in the pan types who say, God, I give you everything that I am. And then, other way. And this is what happens when he's saying, when you vow a vow to God, do not lay pagan, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. And he's saying, it's better that you shouldn't vow at all than that you should vow and not pay. What's funny is that like when you go to church, you hear all these songs about like, Jesus, I live for you and stuff. And you're like, I mean, most of the time, actually kind of right just now. And then after this, who knows, you know, and you're like, you're up there waving your hands and stuff. And, and what's funny is like God is saying, I don't want you to just I don't want you to make vows with your mouth and say that, oh, yeah, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to follow you and do all these kinds of things. You don't because you're not even able to put your money where your mouth is. And that because you have this you have a sin nature that's so deeply ingrained in you that it required somebody dying in order for that cancer to be purged from your body. 
right? From your flesh, from your spirit, for you to be renewed. So you have all these selfish desires and you say, so when you come to God and you say, I promise that I'm going to do this, he knows. He's like, it's not, it's not going to happen. I love you, but it's not going to happen. I know. I know it's not. He's saying, I'd rather that you don't even, that you should, that you not vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. I want you to, in other words, God wants your honesty. God wants your honesty. He doesn't want you to just get up there on Sunday morning and say, I promise I'm going to do this and I promise I'm going to do that. No, no, no. Just come before God as you are. Frail, broken, destitute. Like somebody's like, amen, I have no money. Right? Uh, so like, come to God exactly as you are because that's how he wants you. He says, let not your mouth lead you into sin and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Uh, commentators believe that the messenger was probably a priest. So in those days, you'd come before the messenger, and uh, there were certain points in, uh, in Jewish law where you would actually like, make an official vow, like, I vow that I will do this. And that was kind of the way of social contracts back then, because they didn't do a lot of written contracts, not very many people knew how to write. So he's saying, don't, <laughs> he said, don't say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Oh, I, I, I didn't mean to say that earlier. <laughs> I, I meant what I meant. I was like, Did I say that I promised I would give like 10% of everything that I own to God? What I meant to say is I'm going to keep 10% of what I own and everything else. That's what I meant to say. I didn't mean to say that. I meant I totally was joking earlier. You get me, Mr. Messenger? It was totally an error, right? No, that's not, God's saying, no, 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 no. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? What's crazy is that God's blessing is suspended because of falsehood in this instance. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, hey, if you have a, he says, come here, uh, if somebody's accusing you of something, you, you you ought to meet with them before you even get to court and settle the matter, okay? And he says, just before that, he says, if, if you are making your, if you are bringing a gift before the altar, right, as in, as in you're coming before God's presence, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar, and then go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. God's more interested in you being honest and having right relationship before you come to him than just coming to him and pretending when, that, that everything is good, when in fact it's not. Be honest before God. So, he's, he wants to know, now... And then after this, right after this, I love this. He says, why should God be angry at your voice? And then he says, when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. If there's one thing that I want you guys to carry out of tonight is this. God is the one you must fear. You don't need to be afraid of circumstances. You don't need to be afraid of running out of money. You don't need to be afraid of your parents being displeased in you. You don't need to be afraid of a breakup happening. You don't need to be afraid of the insecurity that's been driving your life. You don't need to be afraid of those things. The one thing that you need to do in your life is to fear God. If you can learn to fear God and you can see yourself in the right position and you see God for who he is and you, and you suddenly revel in the glory of God because somehow God in all of his amazingness decided to come down to earth so that he could have a relationship with a people insignificant human named Sam Maines or whoever, whatever your name is, if you can learn to revel in that and to go, God, I don't even know why you would do that, but I fear you in all of your grandeur and your majesty. I can't even see you, but I experience you in the wind that blows and I experience you in the blessings that fall in my life and I can experience you in the friendships that I have and in the moments that I've had in worship where I've actually physically felt your presence. If you can get to the point where you're fearing God, everything else in your life will begin to line up. So fear God today. Does anybody else want to fear God today? Because guess what? This is what I love about God. Even in these passages where he's saying, make things right before you come in, there's a big, strong implication. God wants you to come. 
He wants you to come into his presence. There's an implication here. God wants you, he's like, I want you to come in and be with me. I want you to be here. This is what I love about this scripture is that underneath it all, you see a thread of God's grace and redemption. He wants you to be in relationship with him. So recognize the greatness and divinity of God. The next two points I'm going to go through pretty quickly. Um, we've heard some of them before, and, and the book of Ecclesiastes is kind of cyclical, okay? And this is typical of Jewish teaching, and so it, it, some of it's kind of repetitive, but it is also, it's still important because he's trying to get a point across. It's like he's, he's come up for air, right? He's looking at who God is, and then he dives back down in. And he talks about, first of all, number, so number one was recognize the greatness and divinity of God. Number two, recognize the reality of injustice, he says, if you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. For the high official is watched by higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. What's interesting here, I think sometimes we can be intentionally aloof of things that are going on in the world. And part of this is due to our own selfishness, because we don't actually want to take the time or effort to like, try to make a difference in the world, because that would be really hard. So we're like, um, I'll just intentionally be aloof. Oh, I had no idea this issue was happening. I had no idea that there was wrong things happening. What's funny, though, is this is actually what I think is one of the blessings of social media is that we, I mean, it can be a blessing and a curse, social media can, but one of the cool things about social media is in this day and age, we have the ability to be aware of a lot of different things, and so we are actually accountable for a lot more because we now are aware of a lot more. Case in point, the, uh, the Me Too movement that's been happening on, uh, across all kinds of the entire social media spectrum, right? We have to, in this country, be accountable for those things because we can't just ignore it anymore and say, oh, I didn't know. No, you, no, we do now. We do. It is out there. Okay, Sexual abuse is a thing. It is happening. You can't ignore it. You need to address it. And the gospel says that it needs to be dealt with because the gospel says those are the kinds of things that Jesus died on a cross for. And so we ought to, as Christians, engage with culture and do something about the wrongs that are happening in this world. Sorry, I'm preaching too hard. I don't just preach to myself. That's okay. But recognize the reality of injustice. Power abuse is what leads to social injustice. He says, he, you notice the hierarchy? He says there's a, there's a person who's in, in charge of the land, and then there's a person over him, and so the person over him is telling him what to do, and so then he gets to tell everybody else what to do. And in that day and age, what, uh, a king was considered great if he was able to, if he was a conqueror, right? If he left and just was like, yeah, I'm awesome. I'm going to conquer all the surrounding lands around me. But then he says this. He says this, this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. Now, what does that mean? Somebody who's committed to peace is what it means. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. That's what this is talking about. People who are committed to peace. A ruler is committed to, he's not committed to building an army. He's not committed to trying to go out and conquer. He's committed to his own people's welfare. He's committed to, to the benefits of his people. He's connected to, he's committed to cultivated fields and earth and gardening and he probably has a community garden and they grow squash and kale because it's healthy and I'm just going off on a weird rant. Okay, I'm done. Um, <laughs> so, recognize the reality of injustice. What's interesting is we're seeing a contrast here though, right? We see God in the first few verses and now suddenly he dives back down to the situation on earth. He says, recognize the reality of injustice and then because good leaders are devoted to peace and prosperity. Power abuse leads to social injustice. And then number three, he recognizes the frailty of success. Recognize the frailty of success. And he tells a little story, right? Because <clears throat> he says, he who loves money will not be sustained with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. 
You get fat when you eat a lot, is what it's saying. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but, but for real. When goats increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has an owner but to see them with his eyes? Sleep, sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. If your guys' ultimate goal in life is to be filthy rich, just know it's not, you know, that's not going to bring you rest or peace in your life. If you think that is the thing that's going to bring you peace, you need to rethink some things. Amen? All right. You're like, yes, I'm poor, so I feel it. Okay. <clears throat> Number thir- but in verse 13, he says, There's a grievous evil I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. This is an example of, of one of the frailties of success. See, the world defines success as having 2.5 kids and a white picket fence and having a nice house and a nice minivan and listening to, like, Positive Life Radio or K-Love or whatever the local Christian station is and being happy. I remember hearing about this from a girl in our youth group when I was, like, in junior high. I remember the question was something about our youth pastor was asking questions about like what do you want most out of life and this girl was like I want to get old and get married and have three kids and then I want Jesus to come back and I just want to like leave and be with him and just be happy there was a part of me that wanted to barf and I didn't really know why but I think it's because there's so much more in life than that you know what I'm saying like when the writer of Ecclesiastes looks at life, he's, lo- he's looking at it going, this is, this is stupid. All this stuff is so stupid. I've been chasing it my entire life. I've been trying to get that 401k and that retirement account, and I've been trying to get that marriage and that, that, the kids and the, the things for my entire life, and it didn't fulfill me. This is stupid. And some of you guys are like, but those are the things that I really want. Yeah, but you're also not King Solomon. You're not old. You're not looking back at your life going, I've done it all. You've done some of it. The one thing you guys have going for you is passion. Keep that alive because young people, that is one of the greatest gifts you can give to this world is passion. So get passionate about God and help light the fire of the old folks. And and at the same time, listen to the wisdom of people who have been down the road farther than you because they can see a bigger picture than you can. Your homework is to meet an old person at church this week. You're welcome. Recognize the frailty of his success. So he tells the story of this father who gains wealth. And then he says, he's a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again naked as he came and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. He can't even give an inheritance to his sons. But what's interesting is this is not a story about greed. It's just a guy who wanted to save up money and then he lost it. Bummer. Like it happens, right? You lose stuff. Anybody lose stuff? Is that just me? Okay. Thank you. I'm not alone. I literally lose my house keys every 10 minutes. It's terrible. It's true. I have, my wife can vouch for me. I literally lose everything. Like if I have something, you need to ask me five minutes later, do you still have that thing? Because if you do not have that thing in your hand, it is gone somewhere. It's disappeared into the abyss and it will not return. But at the same, (laughs) where are my house keys? They're over there. Okay, we're good. <clears throat> Thank you, Dave, for reminding me of that. Okay. So then he says this. Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and in much vexation and sickness and anger. Wow, this guy's life was depressing. And then he says this. And this is what I love. He turns. He goes from recognize that there's injustice in the world, recognize these problems, but then he says recognize the beauty in life. Here's what I've seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment within all the toil with which one toils under the sun. The few days of his life that God has given him for this is his lot. Wow, that's so encouraging. Um, the few days of his life. We have so few days. This is all that we get. Just enjoy it the best you can. I guess it's all, it's all you can do. You know, that's kind of what he, you kind of get this feeling that that's what he's doing. But he's saying something. Recognize the beauty of life. 
Enjoy good food and drink and friendships. Make friends with somebody and enjoy something about life. Because guess what? It all comes from the same source. He says that because he says, he even says to enjoy possessions and power. If you have them, God willing, some of us will have possessions and nobody wants to admit that they want power, but power, power. Yeah. Um, some, some of us don't actually admit that we want that, but you want to have influence. You want to have power. But if you have those things, enjoy them because they all come from one person. He says, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions. Who gives them? God. God gives these things. God gives these things. So if you have something, regardless of where you're at right now with your finances, regardless of where you're at with your relationships, please, please remember that the United States is one of the richest countries in the entire world. And even if you are poor here, you're not really poor compared to worldwide standards. You guys have so much to be thankful for in this life. We have so many good things. You You have friends and family who love you. And if nothing else, you have a God who loves you. You have a God who loves you and died for you. Finally, recognize the source of joy. Recognize the source of joy. So recognize the greatness and divinity of God. Recognize the reality of injustice and the frailty of success. But conversely, also recognize there's beauty in life. Recognize the source of joy. See, pain fades in the light of the joy of the Lord. When you really learn what it means to, to take joy in the Lord, you realize that it's a lot deeper than just being happy. That joy is something that wells up from inside of you. That joy is something that gives you strength. In the book of Nehemiah chapter 8, the people rebuilt it. This is after Solomon had died and the temple had been destroyed. And years later, people came back and they rebuilt the temple. But there were some who remembered the temple that Solomon had built. And as they saw it and the worship service started, they started to weep. And it said that the, the cries of the worshipers who were so excited that God's house had been built were mingling with the cries of people who were missing the old going, I remember, I remember the glory days. And this is not it. And people were weeping. And, and, and it was like <clears throat> they're looking around and all Jerusalem's in shambles. And they're going, what do we have to worship about? And Nehemiah says, you know what? The, stop crying. Okay, chin up, chin up. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Stop crying. Because today's a new day, and the joy of the Lord is your strength. Okay? Wipe those tears away, because you know what? Today's a new day. And I don't know where you're at right now, but today is a new day, and the joy of the Lord is your strength. Regardless of where you're at, whether you're feeling lonely, or whether you're feeling depressed, or whether things are just really hard, or whether things are going great, just know that the joy of the Lord is your strength, and it doesn't come from your circumstances, and it doesn't come from your wealth, and it doesn't come from all those things. It comes from a God who is immense, and infinite and vast and who loves you intensely for exactly who you are. And I love this because the last note he says, he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. I love this. Your heart's, when joy is your heart's job, you don't have time to be occupied with the rest of the sadness in life. Like, that's your heart's occupation. It is, it is a thing. The word there is to keep busy, right? Joy actually keeps your heart busy. Do you know that? Joy keeps your heart busy. Like, it gives your heart, it, 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 it gives your heart like, exercise and things to do. Because if you, if you idleness will create, a, will break your spirit. I'm telling you. Some of you guys are at this space in life where you might just want to curl up and watch Netflix all the time. There's nothing wrong with curling up and watching Netflix from time to time. I know some of you guys are introverts. I get that. My wife's an introvert. We need that Netflix time. I get it. It's, but 
at the same time, recognize something that idleness actually is not good for your heart because it actually will break your spirit eventually. Joy occupies your heart. And when you dwell on scripture and you engage with friends and you pray and you begin to live a life that is occupied with joy, you're going to find that your heart is occupied in it. A joyful heart will lift your spirits. So recognize the source of joy. You want to know the source of joy is? And you know what, how, how I know that joy is actually deeper than happiness? Because in Hebrews it says that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Jesus didn't look at the cross and go, this looks fun. Anybody, anybody else want to get crucified today? Ow. You know, like he wasn't, that was not what Jesus was doing. He didn't look at the cross and go, this looks fun. But he looked at the cross and said, I see millions of people on the other side of this tree. And the only way to get to them is to get pinned to it. So I'll do it for them. Joy is deeper than happiness. So recognize it. Recognize it and let your heart be occupied with joy. Amen? All right, so here's a question. How can you help someone else recognize God in your life? Ecclesiastes paints this stark picture because he's trying to contrast things. He's looking at the darkness of life so that we can see the contrasts of light. Okay? He, this, it's very intentional the way he does this. He, he paints a dark picture so that you can see the light shining through. So here's the question. I want you to ask this question very practically. Even think about what could you do this week to help somebody else recognize where God's at work in their life. Okay, turn and talk to somebody about it. How can you help someone else recognize God? And then if you answer that question, how can you recognize the word of God in your own life? How can you recognize it? Okay, turn to somebody and talk about it for a second. <clears throat> Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from Regen. If you have any questions about Regen, feel free to shoot us an email at regeneratelcsc at gmail.com. Regen, changing the world for Jesus, one person at a time.